Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel, chapter 5. We'll look at verses 20 through 29, and the text is also printed in the bulletin. So, uh, Nathan just read Ezekiel 37. For our Old Testament reading, it's the, the Valley of Dry Bones vision. And uh, there are some really great parallels there between Ezekiel 37 and our passage this morning, which I'm going to read in just a minute. Uh, there's actually good evidence that John uh, wrote his gospel, the whole gospel, and maybe even uh, the apocalypse, the revelation, <clears throat> with uh, Ezekiel's prophecy in mind. There are, there are um, probably several structural and thematic parallels between uh, the two, between Ezekiel's prophecy and John's gospel. I'm guessing you're not super familiar with Ezekiel's prophecy. Uh, I'm really not either, and many pastors aren't, so you're okay. Um, you're never, never going to get a pop quiz from me on what the, the prophets are about. Actually, <clears throat> uh, when a candidate for ordination for pastoral ministry comes to our presbytery, I'm, uh, I'm the, the reader for the English Bible exam, so I'm the one who's supposed to uh, kind of deal directly with this person's knowledge of Bible content. And uh, that's one of the main areas that we try to examine uh, pastors in is, uh, is their knowledge of the Bible. And so <clears throat> there's a lot of pastors, pastors, people who should be teaching God's word to you, who have difficulty d- differentiating between prophetic books, the last, uh, books the, the last section of books in the Old Testament. And if you ask them, what's this prophecy about or what's this prophecy about, um, they'll probably just say, um, God's judgment <laughs> and uh, yeah, even though you knew they were just guessing, they probably got it right. So uh, most of the prophetic books of the Old Testament have a lot to say about God's judgment, including Ezekiel. Uh, but you'd, you'd probably be surprised by a lot of what the prophets are actually saying. Um, they say a lot of things, not just talking about God's judgment, and they talk about God's judgment maybe differently than uh, you might expect, uh, just like you'd be surprised by what Jesus is actually saying when, uh, when he talks about God's judgment like he does in a passage like ours uh, this morning. Essentially, Jesus is saying that he himself is the crux. He's the, the fixed focal point of all reality. He's the, he's the rock on which the waves break either left or right. Uh, he's, he's the question that you answer either yes or no. And uh, he's the crossroads where you will meet either life or death. That's him. That's Christ. And that's what he says about himself. Every single person in the world has business to do with God, which means every single person has business to do with Jesus Christ. That's pretty much what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we thank you that you've given us the light of your word, especially in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And here before us, the the scriptures that are about him, his very words recorded for us. We're thankful that you've not left us in the dark about who you are and about how to have a relationship with you and what it means to live with you. We pray that you would teach us now that we would truly encounter you as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the Father, this is Jesus speaking, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son 
gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this is about half of the sermon that Jesus gives in John chapter 5, and I bet you got lost somewhere in the middle of that half of the sermon. Um, Does it seem esoteric? Does it seem irrelevant? I mean, we've got things that we care about, pressing matters of life in this world, and does this seem like it's really addressing those things? Um, This is how Jesus speaks. And if it doesn't seem relevant to us, uh, we may just need to learn more about how he speaks, why he speaks that way, And we should learn to listen to him. Let me back up just a little bit uh, before this passage. Last week, um, actually two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus healed and uh, what the the scripture says is an invalid or disabled man who uh, was hardened to grace. Jesus came into his life in grace and mercy and performed this healing, and he did not have a good response to Jesus. And so this this fellow was, uh, was dead to grace could say. And Jesus, when he healed this man, he took the opportunity then to be criticized by the uh, religious establishment. Um, He began to teach. This is what we come across here in this this sermon that he's giving. He began to teach. It's hard to say whether he's giving a defense for his actions or whether he's actually going on the offense or whether he's just loving people with the proclamation of the gospel. Maybe with Jesus it's hard to sort those things out, but he has begun to teach on the nature of God. This is what we looked at last week, the nature of God, and he's, uh, that he himself is God, and that he reveals God, uh, contrary to our presuppositions, he reveals God to be humble. We have a humble God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. In our verses this morning, he continues to make statements that only make sense if we understand him to be claiming divinity for himself, And not only claiming, but reshaping our understanding of divinity. Not just the mere fact that he's God, but what kind of God it is that we're dealing with. What kind of God we see when we look at Jesus Christ. So, he said, uh, we looked at it a little bit last week, but it's in our text also this week. Uh, Verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Um, Everything that takes place. Everything that takes place in the life of Jesus Christ that we have recorded for us in the gospel 
is the demonstration of the Father's love for the Son for our sake, so that we may marvel. He's, the Father is showing the Son how much He loves Him. He's showing the Son what His love looks like. We normally think of the Gospels as being written so that we could know God's love for us. But actually, uh, what takes place in the life of Jesus Christ is so that we can know the Father's love for His Son. So that we can know not just God's love for me, God's love for us directly, but so that we can see the Father's love for the Son, so that we can believe and rejoice in this God. And these are the things that God Himself, the Father, is showing to the Son, Jesus Christ, sort of like a vision, like when, uh, when he takes Ezekiel out into the, the valley of dry bones in this vision and shows him all these things that he's doing and calls Ezekiel, somewhat mysteriously, the Son of Man. Right? God is showing his Son, the Son of Man, how much the Father loves the Son. And it's written for our sake. And that, that makes the gospel, when you think about that, it makes the gospel a little more God-centered, doesn't it? It makes the gospel more Christ-centered. This thing is about Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not primarily about God and me. It's actually primarily about the Father and the Son. That's what the gospel reveals to us, and that's good news. Maybe that seems a little bit strange for you to celebrate that. Good news. The Father loves the Son and lets him in on everything he's doing. But these are the things Jesus wants us to know. It is given to us. It is revealed to us for our sake. These are, this is what Jesus wants us to know. This is how he talks about who God is and what God is doing for the sake of our eternal life with him. He's saying that God is no static, monolithic, impersonal entity. He's saying that there is one true God and that he's a God whose being is the dynamic love that a father has for a son and the son uh, reciprocates to the father in the Holy Spirit. So everything, everything that is understood as a function of divinity, of Christ's divinity, must be understood in light of who this God is that, that Jesus Christ reveals to us. If you are going to understand what it means to be God, who God is, you've got to understand him through Jesus Christ, what, what Jesus reveals to us. And this is what he reveals. So verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. God's the only one who makes people alive. God's the only creator. God's the only one who could take Adam, form him out of the dust of the earth, and breathe life into him and make him a living being. God's the only one who does things like that. God's the only one who raises people from the dead and gives them life where there was no life before. God is the one who makes alive. The Father makes alive, Jesus says, and the Son makes alive. Right? Which means that the Son is God. And that there's unity in the Godhead. They undertake the same activity together. Right? And then he goes on in verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So God, I mean, you ask anybody in, in Jesus' day, uh, the Jews who'd study the Old Testament, uh, anybody familiar with God's word knows that God is the only judge. He's the only true judge. The only one who judges has the right to judge, and we know this, especially from the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel, who, uh, who talk about judgment all the time. This is God's thing. This is God's prerogative. But Jesus is claiming to be the one who judges, and so he's claiming to be God, right? 
In fact, he's claiming that his father has deferred judgment to him. His father, who has the right to judge, has said, no, son, you be the judge. You judge. The father's given judgment to him so that we would all honor the son as God. So that we would all look at Jesus Christ and say, and, and give him the honor that we would give to the Father, give him that we would give to God. So honor is owed to the judge of all, failing to honor the Son, Jesus Christ, with the same honor that you would give to the Father is, is actually failing to honor the Father, it says. It's failing to honor God as God. If you don't honor Jesus as God, you don't honor God. That's what Jesus is saying. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father, verse 23. So if you're going to honor God as the judge of all, you must honor Jesus Christ as the judge of all. And all are supposed to honor him, and that all includes you and me. Now Jesus thinks it's very important that we should know how to do this, how to honor the Son as the judge, as the God that he is. And, um, and so he says in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you. And again, um, we've come across this, this phrase a few times already in John's gospel. It's, a, it's one of Christ's uh, favorite things to say, apparently. Truly, truly is amen, amen. I say to you, it's very emphatic, but more than emphatic, it's actually the equivalent to the Old Testament in the prophets when God says, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. So we should pay attention. He really wants us to know this. And, um, and this is what he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So it's when you listen. How do we honor God? How do we honor Jesus as God? How do we honor Jesus as the judge? to whom all honor is due. And if we don't honor him, we don't honor God. How do we honor Jesus when you listen? When you listen, when you hear Christ's word and believe the Father. When you recognize Christ through his word as having come from the Father, as having been sent by the Father, as representing God. And that hearing And when that hearing is characterized by receptivity rather than rejection, when you hear Christ's word and you say yes instead of no, then that's it. It's eternal life. No judgment. Passed from death to life, Jesus says. It's accessible to you right now, even at this very moment, even though you're as passive as somebody sitting in a pew. (laughs) Um, You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to keep a bunch of commandments first. You don't have to get your life in order. You don't have to perform a bunch of religious rituals first. You just have to drop your weapons and listen to him and say yes. Um, Listen to Jesus with trust. And he says, life will happen to you right now. He says, life will happen to you right now, in you and among you. And if that's happening to you, um, whenever that happens, whether it's 
whether it's at this very moment right now, uh, you're hearing Christ and you say yes to him or at some point in your life, uh, come and talk to me about it or talk to uh, another pastor or another Christian friend. Or you, you have no reason to be embarrassed. If you've been calling yourself a Christian for a long time and you're just coming to faith really for the first time or if you, if you haven't been a Christian, you've been resisting God and you've let down those defenses and you've said yes to Christ, like there's no reason to be embarrassed about that. Uh, this is a matter of celebration for us. If you're coming to Jesus and he's come into your life and you've said yes to him, you need to let us know about that. Uh, we need to help you with that. So <clears throat> all of this, when you listen to Jesus and life happens to you because you listen receptively, uh, that's, that's because life is in him. He says that. Life is in the Son. Life is in the Father, and the Father's given it to the Son so that life would be in him. And he gives it through his voice, he says. He gives it through his voice. That's how this God works. That's who this God is. He's a God with a voice. The second person of the Trinity is called the Word of God. He's a God who communicates and reveals himself for relationship. Right? He gives life through his voice, Jesus does, because he is the Word of the living God. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And this is where we start to see some really obvious, uh, I think, connections with Ezekiel 37, the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, which is a picture of the spiritual death of God's people, not just physical death, not just a, a, a literal valley scattered with the skeletons of dead people, but it's a picture of the spiritual death that, uh, that we all are in. It's a state that we're all in apart from God, apart from hearing his word and responding to him uh, and having a relationship with him. God spoke to his prophet in that vision. He, spoke, he was speaking with his prophet and saying to Ezekiel, calling him the son of man. Again, that's a little curious. It's interesting. It's mysterious, maybe. Um, telling him telling the prophet, telling the son of man, you speak to the dead. You speak to the dead and tell them that God's going to make them alive again so that they will know who God is, so that they'll have a relationship with God. You, son of man, tell these dry bones that God's going to make them alive. So the prophet spoke to the dry bones. He spoke to the dead and nothing happened. And the reason was, there was no spirit in them. That, it says there was no breath in them. And in Hebrew, the word, um, the word that's translated breath there can also be translated wind and also translated spirit. There's a word play in Hebrew with that word. The same thing happens in Greek and the same thing happens in John's gospel quite a bit. The word play between breath and wind and spirit. So the prophet spoke to the dead. Nothing happened because there was no spirit in them, and God's the only one who can make that happen. God is the only one who must breathe the, the breath of life to make them alive. Again, Genesis, um, seeing Adam's creation, he was, he was just matter. He was just clay. He was just dust of the earth who'd been formed in the shape of a human being until God breathed the breath of life into him, until God breathed the spirit into him and made him a living being. And God is the one who must give the Holy Spirit for eternal life, as we looked at in 
In John's Gospel, in chapter 3, Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, the Spirit has to come into people to make them alive to God. Otherwise, you're dead to God. Yet God said, God's the only one who can do this. God's the only one who can breathe the breath of life into people and renew them so that they would come to, a, 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 come to life and come to a knowledge of God. God's the only one who can do it, yet God said to the prophet, to the Son of Man, you, you tell the breath. You tell the wind. You tell the Spirit to resurrect these people. I mean, God's giving his privilege to the Son of Man, to the prophet, to the one who's going to speak God's word on his behalf. And so at the prophet's voice, at the voice of the Son of Man, at the voice of a human being, the Spirit came upon the dead in this vision in Ezekiel 37 and brought them to life. Jesus says in verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is the judge who raises the dead, not only because he's the divine Son of God, but because he's the Son of Man. And it pleased this God to give the Son of Man his own authority, his own authority to judge and to give life to the dead. His voice has the power to bring you back from, from spiritual death. His voice has the power to bring you into life with God because, this is hard for us to get our minds around, because his humanity has been brought into the relationship between the Father and the Son. Because in the incarnation, when the Son of God took on human flesh, he brought humanity into the relationship that the Father has with the Son, into the Son's own place in that relationship, in his own person, in the person of Jesus Christ, who's fully God and fully man, God has brought humanity into the very life of the Trinity. God has opened up his life to humanity in the incarnation. He's brought humanity all the way in as far in as it could possibly go, into the place of the Son of God, and he shares his own judgment, and he shares his own authority and his own power and his own rule. He shares everything with the Son of Man. And when we hear this good news, this good news about humanity being brought into the life of God in the person of Jesus Christ, when we hear that in the voice of Jesus Christ, and when he breathes his Holy Spirit upon us, as Jesus does later in John's Gospel with the disciples, then we leave the realm of death and separation from the Godhead, and we enter into the very life of God, a life that's full and that, that's everlasting. Our humanity um, rides along, so to speak, with Christ's humanity in his relationship with the Father. He gives it to us as a free gift. So in, in evangelicalism... Uh, we often hear the gospel proclaimed, and we often hear it stated that this is what it means to become a Christian. If you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. But in fact, the gospel declares that Jesus Christ has invited you into his life. God has invited you into his life through Jesus Christ, the life that, that he, as both God and man, has been given by the Father in order to share this life with you as a gift of his grace uh, with, with those who hear and believe. 
So when you become a Christian, you become a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ, you are entering, if you're responding to that invitation into his life, you're entering something far bigger than than your own little life with God tacked on as a little extra. You're entering the life of the God who has life in himself, who always had, who, who's always been the source of all reality and all life. This one who has always been and is now and ever will be life. You're entering into his life, the life of the eternal trinity, the Father's spirit of love poured out upon you as poured upon his own son. Uh, remember verse 20, the Father loves the Son. And he wants you to marvel at that relationship because that's the same relationship that he gives to you. So it's like, uh, <clears throat> it's like Doctor Who's time machine. It's way bigger on the inside. Life, the, the Christian life, life in Christ, life with God, eternal life, is way bigger on the inside. And unless you get in there, you can't even conceptualize it. You, do, you don't even know you might think you know what Christianity is, but if you haven't yet done business with Jesus Christ himself, if you haven't heard his voice and said yes and received his invitation into the inner life of God, you can't even know what you're missing. You, can't, you just can't know. But if you hear his voice and if you trust his father and you trust the father's love for his son, which is freely shared with you, then a resurrection takes place. A resurrection. And you enter a new world, a new realm of life with God. And the Bible talks about two stages of resurrection. It talks about it in two different ways. And I think we see actually both those ways in this passage. There's, first, there's a spiritual resurrection. There's a coming to life. There's a new sensitivity. There's a new trajectory of your heart. There's a new vibrancy. There's a new life that you have with God when you come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's something that happens now. A spiritual resurrection or regeneration is another word for that. And then there's also the physical resurrection when you are raised to bodily immortality. And that's the not yet part of our salvation. Um, at some point, everyone, he says, at some point, everyone will hear his voice. And everyone will be compelled to respond by the sheer power of it. Whether they respond with a yes or a no. He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised. And your existence Every single one of you, every single person who's ever lived, your existence from that point forward will be determined by the judge, that is, by your relationship to Jesus Christ and to God through him. If you hear his word now and you trust his Father now, which is the work of God, actually, as Jesus describes it, he defines the work of God, what it means to do good is to hear and to believe then you have eternal life. You do not come into judgment. You pass from death to life. So you would be raised bodily to the resurrection of life in the last day, life forever with a good God. To do evil, on the other hand, is to dishonor God 
by dishonoring the Son whom the Father sent to reject his word, to stop your ears to his voice, in which case it should be no surprise to you to, to discover yourself dead to God, not participating in his life, not participating in the life that's found in his Son. And there's no, no third option. Jesus gives us no third option. It's life or death. It's yes or no to him. There's no neutral territory. There's only Jesus Christ at the crossroads and your relationship to him. So listen to his voice and believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us more and more the significance of what it means to come to your son. This is not just a one-time thing that we need to do, uh, but life, if, if it's life in you and life with you, means life looking to Christ and doing business with Christ all the time. We pray that you would teach us that this is good. We pray that you would soften our own hearts toward yourself so that we would be receptive to who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that um, this discovery of your goodness in Jesus Christ would continue forever, that eternity would be filled with uh, delight unfolding upon delight as we discover your goodness to us in, in the face of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.